Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So welcome, I say again, welcome to uh, a rookie day. One of a few, as I'm saying, uh, on Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. Today's rookie episode is a lesson learned show, I guess. I mean, technically a lot of these are going to be look back Maybe that's the more accurate way to describe them. These are look-back episodes of Fantasy NBA Today. Lessons learned is too narrow of a description of what we're doing here. Because, like yesterday, we did a show on how head-to-head leagues need to have their settings adjusted. And that's not really what you call lesson learned. That is a look-back, and it's a look to the future. Last year, you guys might remember that I did a show on how we need to soften our stance on rookie big men. I maintain that that was a reasonable episode. And we might have to do actually a little bit more on that front. But today's episode is about high-profile rookies. And I wanted to get into that quickly here in the offseason because there's going to be the highest-profile rookie that we've had probably since LeBron coming up in next year's drafts. He's not in the NBA yet. We will be shortly. And that, of course, is Victor Wembanyama. Not that I necessarily think we need to start by talking about him. I just think that what we're going to discuss today is directly related to what he's going to be coming into the NBA. His international stats are insane. Um... Like, he's out of his mind. He's playing 32 minutes a game this season. I know that the season is not all that long. 47% from the field, 84 at the free throw line. He's hitting almost two three-pointers a game. He's averaging 21 points, 10 boards, just under a steal, and three blocks per contest. Two and a half turnovers per game, by the way. But here's the thing. Before we get into the Wembenyama stuff, and I I do think that he's going to require a lot of attention from us throughout this offseason. We can touch on him a little bit uh, in this episode, but this isn't going to be the the main focal point. The main focal point is that it it kind of hasn't mattered where the high-profile rookies have been drafted. It's been too early. Let's go through some of the names from this last year. YouTubers can see a list on their screen. I'll, of course, repeat it for those listening on the recorded side. The top of the draft this last season was Paolo Boncaro to the Magic, Chad Holmgren to the Thunder, who was also going to get drafted really high, but then missed the season. Jabari Smith Jr. to the Rockets, Keegan Murray to the Kings, Jaden Ivey to the Pistons, Benedict Matherin to the Pacers, Shaden Sharp to the Blazers. Uh, Pelicans took Dyson Daniels, Jeremy Sohan to the Spurs, Johnny Davis to the Wizards. Uh, Usman Jang got traded on draft night. Uh, Jalen Williams to the Thunder. Jalen Duran, who was originally drafted by the Hornets and then traded to Detroit. Ochai Abaji, Mark Williams, A.J. Griffin, Tari Eason. Dalen Terry, Jake Laravia, Malachi Branham, Christian Brown, Walker Kessler, David Roddy, Marjan Bochamp, Blake Wesley, Wendell Moore, Nikola Jovich, Easy Tiger. Patrick Baldwin Jr., Ty Ty Washington Jr., and Peyton Watson. That's a first round. Second round, Andrew Nemhard. 
And uh, then generally a lot of players that you haven't heard a whole lot about. Jaden Hardy made an appearance for a couple of stretches this year. Jalen Williams appeared for stretches this year. Second rounders, by and large, didn't really see much playing time outside of really Nemhart, who was the first pick of the second round. But who are the high-profile ones? And how can we even know? Well, it's pretty easy. You go to ADP. And we I did that, and I'll do it sort of with you guys as we do this podcast. Paolo Boncaro had the highest ADP uh, among... It was going to be Chet Holmgren, but Paolo, once he got hurt, Paolo had the highest ADP among rookies at 73.6, which is the beginning of the seventh round. And, you know, I guess we can do totals and per game here just to to make sure that we're covering all of our bases. On a per game basis, Paolo Boncaro was number 212 on the year. He was relatively healthy. So his totals value was 177. But obviously, drafted late 6th, early 7th round, that is a disaster. And then you're looking at it like, well, how did this happen? The same way it always happens with rookies that are going to have the ball in their hand. And for Paolo, it wasn't necessarily as a a point guard, but it was go do stuff with it. He shot 42.5% from the field on pretty high volume and 73.5% from the free throw line on pretty high volume, with close to three turnovers. He actually didn't get that many defensive stats, so the 20 points, the seven rebounds, the four assists were kind of nice, but everything else was sub-average, and three of his categories were way sub-average. It's the same thing we always talk about with rookies. And why I softened my stance on rookie big men, because typically... Two of the three most difficult things for a rookie to overcome, which is field goal, free throw, and turnover, rookie big men have an edge in two of those three. Typically, their field goal percent is decent, and their turnovers are somewhat low because they're the rookie big man. They're not expected to go run an offense. So Paolo Boncaro, perfectly reasonable example here, right out of the shoot of a rookie with a high ADP, who fell on his face. Are there formats where he makes sense? Yeah. Points league, he makes sense because the three categories he's worst are the three categories where on the points league side, it sort of doesn't matter, typically. I know every time I say that, somebody's like, my points league, we do take care of field goal percent. Okay, I'm talking about standard scoring in points league. So please don't get on my case for this stuff. I have to try to abbreviate somehow on a podcast or the nickname Pedantic would really stick too hard. But Paolo's just one example of a billion. Over and over and over again, we see this same stuff. Jabari Smith Jr. played in 79 ball games this year, so by totals, he crept up on the top 100, but by averages, he was number 142 because he shot 41% from the field and 79 at the free throw line. Typically, the... the Shooting from the field was the thing that held him down, but also low assists, low threes, scoring wasn't all that high. That dude went in the 70s in one of my drafts, trying to figure out exactly what his ADP was coming into draft night. I believe it was like in the 90s. You're thinking, oh, 90s, I got a chance for upside here. Nope! Four and a half rounds behind. Womp womp. And it's the same thing again. And we'll 
I want to pause just for a second here on Jabari Smith Jr. because I know what everybody's thinking. I'm like, well, they're looking at me like, Dan, what about these guys down the stretch? Yeah, he was better. You know, last 25 games, he was top 120. Uh, last month, he was top 130, so it kind of hung out in that same general area. He shot 43% instead of 41. It was a little bit better. But you're still looking at a guy who never quite turned that field goal percent corner. And even though he was more of a front court guy, played power forward almost exclusively this year, the rebounds were decent for him, and the blocks were okay, there just wasn't enough of the other stuff. So even he wasn't able to get there. You can't really count on efficiency with a rookie. You have to cross your fingers and hope that that comes with whatever else you were de- you were sort of handicapping for them to have a decent ball game. But Jabari Smith Jr. was the second highest drafted rookie. Fell on his face. Keegan Murray, also drafted in the 90s. I wouldn't say that he fell on his face in sort of the same way, but he also didn't really have much of a job this year. Keegan was all about hitting three-pointers. Finished at number 116 on the year, played in 80 of the Kings' 82 ball game. So, yes, by totals, he gets a bump. But, I mean, look, 12 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.5 threes, that's not really doing it for me. Low turnovers, that's great, but bad percentages, both of them. Not many defensive stats, not many rebounds, not many assists. Frankly, not that much scoring. He was a positive in threes and turnovers. You can get that from any old man at the end of the board. If you're drafting a rookie, you're looking for upside. Now, admittedly, he didn't miss by all that much. Keegan was only about two rounds back of where he was drafted on a per-game basis, and then by totals, he actually beat his mark. But we've talked about this a thousand times on the podcast, and we'll do it again at some point this offseason. Uh, a top 120 guy who plays in every ball game is really not all that useful in kind of any format. He's playable in head-to-head. Because, you know, totals do matter a lot. You want your guy that's going to play all three, four, or five games, whatever he has, over a given stretch of time. And Keegan did that this year, which made his totals rank number 66 because, you know, you're just piling up stats all season long. But, I mean, he's just not a guy that lifts your team in any way. What are you getting out of that? Four-game week? That's still, like, you could best that in a three-gamer pretty regularly from somebody in the top 80 range. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So that's rookie number two, or rookie number three, excuse me, that came off the board among the high-profile names. I'm trying to think if anybody else even qualified as a high-profile name. 
Where did Jaden Ivey get drafted this year? I don't even know that he got drafted this year in most formats. Uh, I mean, you're getting pretty far down the board once you get to got the rest of the the rookie list. But we'll we'll you know we'll dig into it a little bit. Um, Benedict Matherin went like around pick 132. At that point, who cares? You're you're out of the high profile. Once you're talking about rookies that are getting drafted outside the top 115, 120, uh, they no longer classify as high profile. Jaden Ivey's ADP was was basically right next to Matherin. So then you look back at this board and you're like, okay, well, how did the rookies do by and large this year? And and overall, they did fine, but it's not because of the ones that were getting drafted. It's because of, I mean, predominantly Walker Kessler, who got drafted in a couple of leagues that drafted early. That was right after the trade. And then Utah signed a couple of other centers and and Kessler got bumped way down the board. Uh, His official ADP was he even in the in the mix yeah like 140 something like that so really not drafted in all that many leagues drafted in according to Yahoo only 24 percent of leagues which is basically like deep nine cats <laughs> that's about it so I'm gonna just say he he pretty much wasn't drafted and then Jalen Williams who I don't, I don't think that dude was drafted in any leagues that I'm in and maybe 30 deep but like yeah, ADP like near 150, 100, like it doesn't even drafted in five percent of leagues overall. So pretty much only deeper ones. None of my leagues, not even the competitive ones. So you ended up with these two basically rookies that put up big time numbers in Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler, and they weren't even the ones that got drafted. Benedict Matherin had a decent stretch. Early and late, but overall, he wasn't very good uh, fantasy-wise. Jeremy Sohan was rested heavily. Shaden Sharp had about two weeks for Portland when they shut everybody down that he put up some numbers. Jaden Ivey was very much a punt-style guy. Tari Eason, he didn't do anything for the first five months of the year. Andrew Nemhard had like two weeks in the middle of the season when Tyrese Halliburton was hurt. He had a game-winner. Had like a week at the end of the year also. And then Mark Williams, who had a stretch after the All-Star break. We put up some numbers before they kind of shut him down. I suppose it's fair to look at Mark Williams and say that like he was playable for many stretches. But dude only played in 43 games this year because it was all Nick Richards and Mason Plumley the first half of the season. And yeah, down the stretch, Mark Williams was useful, but... You can't make an argument that that was a worthwhile fantasy season. He was 127 on a per-game basis, and he played in half of his team's game, so by totals, he was even farther down the board than that. There is really no reasonable argument that you guys could lay on me. Outside of points leagues, again, I you know I have to set that aside. Like, Paolo had good numbers in a points league. Jaden Ivey had pretty good numbers in points leagues once Cade got shut down. Jabari Smith was playable in points leagues. Benedict Matherin had stretches where he was playable. But but by and large, the guys who had value this year were Jalen Williams, who was drafted in 5% of all Yahoo leagues, and Walker Kessler, who was drafted in a few more of them as the backup center in Utah. And everybody was like, come on, at some point they're going to play him a little bit. Uh, but it took a little while, and once he got in there, he was awesome. The lesson from this 
is the title of the episode. Don't draft rookies, dot, dot, dot. Okay, at least not the high-profile ones. There are instances, and you guys can go dig them up. You can throw them in my face. I don't care. Where the high-profile rookie outperforms his ADP. Carl Anthony Towns, he was a high-profile rookie who outperformed his ADP. Damian Lillard was a pretty, actually not that high profile, frankly, if you go all the way back. He didn't have that much profile. Cat had some profile. He outperformed his mark. Uh, Anthony Davis, very high profile rookie, generally outperformed his mark. If you're looking at, like, the extremely recent history, uh, it's not many. It's not many. I mean, look at last year. The highest profile guys, Cade Cunningham, nope. Jalen Green, nope. Evan Mobley, um, yeah, by a little bit. Scotty Barnes, yeah, he, he did okay last year. Those guys, Mobley and Barnes were drafted like around 90, 100, and Evan was around there. He was like 80, and Barnes was like 65. So Barnes was one of the rare, and he wasn't even all that high profile. He was like the least of the high profile names from last year that put up some numbers. I mean, you guys can we you can we can do this over and over again as many times as you want. Look through every draft and look at the high-profile rookies, and look how they did. Anthony Edwards with the Wolves, who was awful for the first four months before he turned it on late. James Wiseman, trash. Lamelo Ball was pretty good that year. Banged up though. There weren't really any other high-profile guys in that draft. Twenty twenty, it's top three basically. Obi Toppin got drafted in a bunch of spots. He didn't do anything. Patrick Williams, nope. Okongu, he didn't even really get to play that much that year. Let's go to 2019. We can do this all day. I'll give you the, I'll give you the Captain America here. I can do this all day. 2019, Zion didn't really play. John Morant put up big numbers, but again, more so on the points league side than head-to-head. Darius Garland, he didn't have a chance to do anything that year. It took a year or two for them to kind of hand things over to him a little bit. R.J. Barrett, all points league value. DeAndre Hunter, nope. Jared Culver, nope. Kobe White, nope. Jackson Hayes, nope. Rui Hachimura, Cam Reddish, nope, nope. Just keep going backwards. What do we got, one? Scotty Barnes, is that the only one? So the point is, again, you guys don't need me to, to flog this dead horse repeatedly, is that the high-profile rookies, you get like one out of every ten that beats his ADP. And sure, you can look like the smartest person in the room if you get that one out of ten. But that is a losing long-term proposition when the upside, frankly, isn't that great. The wins that we were talking about here, Scotty Barnes, last year, an example of a, of a clear win from the rookie side. His ADP was like 100, and he finished at 66 on a per-game basis. You got two and a half to three rounds of value out of him. Okay. It's like, it's a medium win. But did taking Scotty Barnes in the 8th, ninth round, did that win you your league last season? I doubt it. I doubt it. Evan Mobley finished at 81 last year, taking him around 100, finishing a round and a half higher. Did that win you your league? Made you feel smart, but did it win you your league? We're 
I doubt it. So we can say two? You want to say two out of like the last dozen? One out of every six? I don't care what percentage you want to put it at. It's low. You want to say one out of ten? That's fine. You want to say one out of six? That's fine. One out of six feels like about the highest marker we're talking about here on the high-profile rookies. Talking about the ones that get drafted inside the top 100 even. A lot of times it's earlier, but let's say top 100. Thinking back to Cade Cunningham, he, he was going in like the 50-60 range. He dropped because he had an injury coming into that year. He fell off a couple rounds. But again, these individual examples don't even really matter. It's the grand, it's the end total of what happens with high-profile rookies. They come in off of Summer League or whatever other hype, ultra-hype, jukebox hero stuff. And the expectations are just too much because they usually stink at two to three of those three efficiency categories, field goal percent, free throw percent, turnovers. Rookies often struggle at two or even all three of those. And the ones that don't are the ones that find a way up the board a little bit. Scotty Barnes, good field goal percent, turnovers was not that bad. And still 66, like, you know, not a game breaker. Evan Mobley, turnovers were fine, field goal percent was good. Free throw was not, but he managed to only be bad in one out of those three. Cade was number 90. He was rough in turnovers and field goal percent. Bingo, two out of the three. It's like, it's the same thing in an infinite loop. What's the old expression, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? That's where we're at with this. It is insanity that every year we go through the same song and dance. Dan says, don't do it. People say, but what about? Nope. 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 Yep. (laughs) And then you got another nope, 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 nope. Yep. All right, fine. I mean, if you want to try to be that one out of six, have at it. But here on Fantasy NBA Today, we have one main overarching principle on how we like to tackle fantasy sports, and that is to make fantasy sports easier. Or rather, more specifically, make winning at fantasy sports easier. And the way you do that is by taking the high probability plays on a year-to-year basis. Rookies are a low probability play. That's not to say that taking all old men is a high probability play too because you might end up with a bunch of guys that all have trick hips like Chris Paul this year. It wasn't a total disaster for Chris, but it wasn't good. What if you get stuck with all the trick hip guys on one year? There has to be a certain balance to what you're doing. But the the creamy middle of this Oreo is guys that are not over the hill, like the oldest, the 37 to 40-year-olds, is a little bit much. You know, late 20s, early 30s, those guys get written off in fantasy, but they're still not that old. They fall in drafts because they're boring, not because they're old. So the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad should really be called the Dan Vespers Super Boring Squad, but it just doesn't have the same ring. 
But then the other side of this question is, and I don't know that we can necessarily answer this question today or even as a whole, how do you find the rookies that aren't going to be too buzzy on draft night? And do you even, frankly, bother drafting them? The brilliance of this year is that Jalen Williams, you didn't need to draft him. He didn't play right out of the shoot this season. That's actually really important to remember. Same story for Walker Kessler. You could look like the smartest person in the room drafting Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler, but you would have had to sit on them for some stretch of time where they weren't doing much. Jalen, by the way, finished as a fifth rounder, I believe, this year on a per-game base. I mean, he ended up being really, really good. But go back to the game log, he didn't really play. At least not consistently at the beginning of the year. And even once he started to see time... He wasn't willing to shoot. It took until December, basically, late November, early December, when Alexei Pokashevsky went down and Jeremiah Robinson Earl went down and just the whole front court crumbled for the Thunder that Jalen Williams was like, you know what? Okay, I'll start shooting now. And it went from like seven shots a game to nine, 10, 11 shots a game. And that was a big jump for him because he went from eight, nine, 10, 11 points per game up to like, 14 to 17 points per game and he finished at 14 because most of his season was at that mark but if you drafted him and you played him at the beginning of the year you got one good game out of the first one two three four five six seven seven or eight nine ish and it was really another five to ten games in before he became consistently reliable and for a long time, I was like, look, I still don't know how this guy's going to do when Pokashevsky comes back. Hey, guess who never came back? <laughs> so there was that. That helped. I don't know that it would have mattered at all by the end because he, you know, Jalen played himself into a very consistent role. He looks awesome. But again, dude is drafted in 5% of leagues. So we don't even have to amend our statement, our overarching statement of do not draft rookies in this instance, because you didn't need to. He was a pickup. Maybe the pickup of the year, frankly, but he was a pickup. What about Walker Kessler? Okay, I guess like a 20-ish percent of leagues he was drafted in or whatever it was, like maybe you were in a league where you needed to draft him. He was inside the top 70 on the year overall. But again, he was another guy who didn't really get to do much for a while this year. You saw the blocks. The blocks were there, as were the personal fouls at the beginning of the year. But he started the season with a four-block ball game in 18 minutes. Probably got added off of that. Had 7-9 to nine with two blocks in his second game, and then promptly played 8 minutes, 11 minutes, 4 minutes, and 11 minutes in the next four games. And I would venture a guess that he ended up on almost every waiver wire after that four-game stretch. Because he wasn't playing. And then his minutes slowly started to tick up. 16, 18, 16, 15, 12, womp womp. But he did have three blocks in that one. 18, 20, 11, 12. It wasn't enough. It was in early December, I believe, when he got slotted into the starting lineup. And in that moment, you might recall that we got on this podcast. We were like, now, now, now. And he wasn't in the starting lineup the whole way. They got healthy, he moved back to the bench, he had a couple of slower ball games, but he was a guy that needed to be held because you started to see how Utah was beginning to use the shoehorn with him and get him into the mix even when he wasn't the starter. But again, we're talking about early December. 
when this happened. It might have been might have been November 30th. I'm trying to remember exactly when. I think Olinick was hurt and Vanderbilt got hurt at the same time or something like that. And so Kessler was like, all right, you're in now. Walker, you're in, baby. And he was amazing. Five-block game in there. He just blocked crazy. Rebounds, blocks. It was a brilliant thing. There are always going to be ups and downs in a rookie season. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy who had, what, three different, four different seven-block ball games this year? But again, he was likely a pickup. Now, this year, we can't just take one year and say that's the, the going to be the case for every season the rest of the way, where this year you legitimately did not need to draft a single productive rookie. I would argue that that is worse than usual. That usually some rookie got drafted in like 40 or more percent of leagues and ends up being decent. That's probably Scotty Barnes last year. I don't know how what the percentage was of leagues he got drafted, and it was probably like around 60% of leagues, so, I mean, like medium high profile, and he was successful. Evan Mobley was drafted in most leagues last year, so there was an expectation he was going to be decent enough. This year, basically every rookie that got drafted at a reasonable clip vastly underperformed their mark. Keegan Murray was the closest to not being a vast underperformance on a per-game basis. Drafted in the 90s, finished like around 120 per game. By totals, a couple of these guys did beat their mark. Again, I want to throw that in there because, you know, a few of them were pretty healthy. But Paolo, way down the board in category leagues. Matherin down the board. Ivy down the board. If you even want to... Again, those those are weren't even high-profile draft picks coming in. And the two rookies... That stomped, if you want to call it three, if you include Mark Williams after the All-Star break, were all available on waiver wires in almost every league. Not all of them, but almost every league available in waiver wires. So this year, you legitimately didn't need to draft a rookie to get production out of a rookie. And at that point, you can just treat him like any other player. You know, because the buzz is... If the buzz is low enough where they're not getting drafted, then, I mean, that that sort of solves our dilemma. The dilemma here about rookies is that they come in with a lot of buzz because they're young. There's an unknown. Ooh. That's the thing. Everybody wants the mystery box. You know, I there's a very early episode of Family Guy. I think it's from the late 90s where Peter and Lois go on a game show or you know what? It's a timeshare. They go, everybody on the block goes to a, the same timeshare presentation. And uh, the thing is like, I think they say, if you just sit through the whole presentation, you go home with your very own boat. Some of you guys probably remember this episode and all of their friends take the boat. And, uh, I think at the end of the one with Peter and Lois, the guy's like, all right, you want to take the boat or do you want to take what's inside this box? And he says, Lois, a boat is a boat, but a box could be anything. It could even be a boat. That's what you got with rookies. It's the mystery box. Instead of taking the boat, you take the box, which maybe could be a boat. (laughs) It's probably not going to be better than that, though. 
not going to be a yacht. So I want to finish up today's rant about high-profile rookies on draft day with, again, the I want to remind everybody that we will continue to soften our stance on traditional rookie big men, which I did last year, and it's why I had an eye on Mark Williams on draft day. I had an eye on Walker Kessler. I didn't draft them in either one because it seemed like they were buried on the depth chart. I was hoping that the Hornets were going to let go of Mason Plumlee during the offseason, but they didn't do it. I thought Mark Williams would at least back him up, but then he was a backup to Nick Richards for a while. Um, so let's continue to keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on rookie big men coming out that are going to have an immediate role. Oh, Jalen Duran had a pretty good stretch this year. I almost forgot about Duran, but he wasn't drafted because... Uh, the figure was that he was going to be well behind people. Well, where was Jalen Duran's ADP? I can't believe I forgot to talk about him because he's probably my favorite uh, among all of these guys to actually watch. Not because he's like a better player than anybody else, but because he's just a behemoth. Uh, he was drafted only 12% of leagues, so he was a pickup too. Okay. I enjoyed that. And he didn't, overall on the year, Duran didn't actually have a great uh, per-game season because there were so many games where they brought him off the bench for no reason. So his his numbers on the year were sort of artificially depressed to 25 minutes per game. But when he got up into starters minutes, he was very much a fantasy play. Not the point. Point is, we continue to stop in our stance on rookie big men, whoever that may be coming out of this next draft. If the situation warrants it, those are guys that I think have the best shot among rookies to at least get to their ADP or maybe even push past it. Because again, they tend to be good at turnovers and field goal percent, and then you're just looking at free throws, and if they're not a complete and epic disaster in free throws, then the rookie big man could have a good spot. Uh, be Continue to be very cautious with rookies that are expected to have the ball in their hand a lot, and then be very cautious, even more so, with rookies that come in with more hype than anyone on planet Earth. I put a poll out yesterday on Twitter, and I'm definitely not the first person to do it, but I'm the first person to do it yesterday <laughs> that said, where do y'all think Victor Wembanyama is going to go in fantasy drafts this year? And I don't know. I mean, like, I think there's a wide swath of people out there, some that are going to draft him super early, some that are going to wait around a little bit longer. Uh, I gave four options. First round, second round, third round, or fourth and beyond. And the lowest response number. By the way, this had over 1,300 votes. So it was a pretty well-trafficked poll. Was fourth and beyond with only 11%. So that's pick 37 or later. 11%. 25% said third round. 28% said first round. And then the biggest number was second round at about 37%. So most people, the majority of respondents, 28 and 37 together, 65, right? 65% of respondents said inside the top 24. I get it. I get it. I know that it's in there. Uh, and I know that in his his current iteration, I mean, the kid is still unbelievably young. He's what, 19 and change right now? He'll be 19 coming into the NBA. 7'2", 230-pounder. I get it. 
He's going to be a franchise changer for probably 15 years if he stays healthy. And I get it. Three blocks a game in 32 minutes. That's pretty sweet. But you know what's not that sweet? First of all, he's never played a full workload. He's played a total of 79 pro games in EuroLeague action over three seasons. There's like a Euro Cup, Euro League, LNB Pro A. That's where he's in right now. So different European basketball leagues. 28 games this year at 32 minutes per ball game against generally competition that's not even remotely close to his skill level. And that's where you get the three blocks per game. But you know what I don't really like? I don't really like the 47% shooting when he's not going up against NBA quality opponents. That's going to come down. Free throw shooting, you imagine that'll hold year over year. This is the first season where he's really gotten to the foul line a little bit more. And I don't, honestly, I don't know how that translates when he gets to the NBA. I'd assume the free throw rate comes down, but you never know. Uh, 31% from downtown. We keep seeing these videos of him taking like one-footed leaning three-pointers, but he's hitting one and a half out of over five per ball game. And that could get better. I probably will get better, but it isn't there yet. 21 and 10? Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get plenty of opportunity wherever he goes. The points will probably be there. The rebounds will probably be there to a certain degree as well. I'm a little bit worried about him staying healthy all NBA season long. I don't think there's any chance that he blocks three shots per game this coming year. Um, you know, that's we saw JJJ do that, and that is rarefied air. So this is a guy who's going to get drafted in the top two rounds with... I think the hope, as you're looking at him for this coming season, is Kristaps Porzingis, who had 23 and 8.5, with three assists, a steal, 1.5 blocks, 50% from the field, 85 at the free throw line. That's probably your best case scenario in year one for Wembenyama. And okay, Kristaps is number 14. That's pretty damn good. But... Do we really think he shoots 50% from the field on 16 shots and is a positive impact player there? I doubt it. Three assists and two three-pointers per game? I don't know. Only two turnovers if he's the guy with the ball? I don't know. Those that talked about Wembenyama in the third round probably are making a reasonable case. There isn't really a good comp in the NBA this year for what he could potentially be in the third round because all the guys that blocked a crap ton of shots this season also shot the ball well from the field. Like Miles Turner at 18.7 and half boards, two and a half blocks, 55% shooting. Let's say he does get two and a half blocks per game. Everybody's looking at the board like, oh, Brooke Lopez, Miles Turner, JJJ, these guys are all inside the top 20. Yeah, but they all shot over 50%. Could Wembenyama get inside the top 20 this year? He could. He could. It's not outside the realm of possibility. But I have real concerns with the field goal percent, the turnovers, and the body. And whatever team is gets him, you know, I guess I could see a unit, like if Detroit got him, I think that team is ready to try to go win some ball games, so I don't know that they'd just give him half the season off for another tank or whatever. And once you get the first pick and you get your franchise guy, you're you're not really in tank mode anymore. 
But I don't know that the Spurs are ready to, like, make a big charge forward. If he ends up on the Spurs. You think Pop's going to play him 82 games? Hell no. It'll be fun. You'll have fun. But damn, if you spend a second round pick, you take him at like 16, and he has big turnover and field goal percent issues, and is like a 40 to 60 range guy? Eee. I'm not talking about high profile. It ain't going to get any more high profile than that. Don't worry, though. We'll talk more about Wembenyama as we get closer to the season, especially once we know where he ends up, and we'll do a more thorough handicapping at that point. Today, I want to put a pin in this rookie discussion. We'll loop back around to it a little bit more. Um, I have additional thoughts on rookie big men, additional thoughts on rookie guards, and maybe it makes more sense to kind of come back to this when we get closer to actual NBA draft time, the real NBA draft, not fantasy We'll know more about who's coming out and who's ending up on what teams and situations like that. But for now, one thing has been true for a very long time and will likely be true for a very long time going forward, and that is don't draft the high-profile rookies, at least not at their ADP. I ask you humbly, will you do it for me? Probably not, but we can keep trying. I'm Dan Bespers, at Dan Bespers on Twitter for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation uh, didn't even remember to talk about the games that happened yesterday. The 9-10 games happened. The Pelicans and the Raptors have been eliminated. The Thunder advanced to the second part of the play-in tournament, as do the Chicago Bulls. All four underdogs cover in the first wave of play-in games. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's episode, our Friday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. We'll be focused on the next round of play-in games, and we'll start to get into the actual series because those start before we come back for another episode. So Friday's show is going to be focused a bit more on the playoffs, and then Monday we'll loop back around. We'll probably do uh, do a little playoff review, uh, and maybe if there's time, get into a little bit more old man squad stuff. So that'll be coming up uh, first thing next week. But again, tomorrow we're talking playoffs here on Fantasy NBA Today. Again, I'm Dan Baspris. Thanks as always for tuning in, everybody. Get back at you tomorrow. Tomorrow.